Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, the place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good afternoon. And together we hope to inspire, educate, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. Today is a long-awaited episode. <laughs> what are we talking about? Glucose. Glucose. I'm so excited. And, and like, it's so funny because I don't know how much of this we're going to get into, but I, I assume it's not just like the science of what glucose is. No. But also... Why you should care. Why you should care about exactly. glucose. Yeah. This is the glucose 101. Mm-hmm. And so we started this kind of off with, you read a book. I did. I read a book. Where is that book? And after you read the book, you immediately started testing, I would say, mm-hmm. doing some like glucose experiments. And within that, you then ordered... Actually, you ordered the glucose monitor forever ago. Yeah. So what happened was I was listening to a podcast with Lily Nichols and Diana Rogers, who are both real food dietitians. They're Mm. RDs. And they were talking about glucose and glucose monitoring, and they had both worn a CGM, which stands for a continuous glucose monitor. And they like made a couple passing comments about, yeah, oh, yeah, I can tolerate my white rice or my sourdough bread just fine, but XYZ makes my glucose go crazy. And that was enough for me to be like, okay. And Diana obviously has levels as a podcast sponsor. So I was like, ooh, I'm going to get my 10% off. I'm going to go get my levels, mm. which is the brand name. Not, for the CGM. Not of the CGM per se, but of the application that lets you read Track it. the data. Okay. Mm. So I ordered that, waited like nine months to maybe a full year. Then I read this book, Glucose Revolution mm. um, by Jesse. How do you pronounce her last name? I forget. In in Chalspie. In Chalspie. I believe is how you say it. Jesse in Chalspie wrote this fantastic book called The Glucose Revolution. She's also on Instagram as the Glucose Goddess. Do you follow her yet? Nope. You should. Anyways, and then I put it on. So I read the book, put on the CGM that I already had purchased but was just sitting in our upstairs closet. And then I tracked my glucose for eight weeks think about that that's a long time Hmm. what are you drinking coffee i know but what kind this is honduras honduras i've been liking honduras Honduras is so good honduras is good obviously brazil is great but so anyway so this whole conversation about glucose is not just like why do i want to listen to liz ramble about glucose Mm -hmm. she's really interested in this topic no i read this book which if you're interested at all go get the book and then i tested myself for eight weeks okay i invested my time energy money all of that for eight straight weeks of glucose monitoring which is a lot hmm. you remember i was like i do remember linking my arm well, to my phone you, you only just stopped i feel like it's been going oh on. i just took it off like four days ago it's like it's, it's more normal for you to be doing that than it is to not be at this point exactly so that's why i wanted to do this i, I i'm not recommending everyone go get a cgm i'll actually talk about that later in the episode who i think it should apply to and who maybe shouldn't get the cgm because hmm. i think that there's two camps why should somebody not we'll talk it? about that later okay. um but for right now i just want to preface this conversation and say I read this book. We're going to talk about some of the meat of this book. But if you're interested in diving in, go get the book. Mm-hmm. It's worth it. It is worth it to have this on your shelf, even just to remind yourself. I think you might want to read it too. Um, so that's going to be today's conversation. So we're going to start out by first getting into a little bit of the sciencey stuff because we can't have this conversation about ways you should eat or minimize glucose spikes without even knowing what glucose is. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what glucose was. I was like, blood sugar, glucose, is that the same thing? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes. So basically, we eat a ton of different foods. 
and the thing we talk about often is our macronutrients, right? We talk about proteins, we talk about fats, and we talk about carbs. So in that carb category, there's a couple different types of forms of glucose, but mm. we'll keep it really simple. Think of like your sugars, things in fruit or sweet stuff, things that like pastries, baked goods, things like that, stuff where you're adding actual sugar. But then you've also got starches, like mm. from the flour in those pastries as well. Um, or for starchy vegetables, like potatoes, things like that. Um, you've got fiber, which is technically a form of carbohydrate, but it doesn't break down as glucose. So we're not worried about that causing spikes. Um, so you've got these different areas, right? And so we're all eating carbs. We're not a carb-free household. We will never be a carb-free household. But the thing that we don't know is I think the number is like 88% of of Americans are walking around with dysregulated glucose levels, meaning we're walking around. Dysregulated. Like, is that a number? Is that quantifiable? Is that something that is just, you find your median, like what's your average for you? And then that's regulated, meaning like you're keeping it within well, that average. Like, what what is mean? your glucose even supposed to do? Let's talk about that. I don't know. So we're eating our protein and our fat and our carb, but we're when we're eating carbs, we're talking about this glucose situation. That's what's coming into play. When you eat something, your glucose levels should rise and fall, right? Because your body is taking in a source of energy. Mm -hmm. Glucose is your body's, I will say, prioritized form of energy. There's a lot of debate, like does the body want to operate on ketones, which is something completely different. That's when people are in ketosis. That's where the keto diet comes from, which can be a helpful tool in times of healing. I agree. But for the vast majority, our body prioritizes the burn of glucose. Every single cell in our body uses glucose. Mm -hmm. Our eyes, our nose, our, your hands holding that cup of coffee, everything is using glucose. So we take in forms of it through carbohydrates, but our body can also produce it if it needs it. So, but when you're eating food, because our food is our fuel, your body, you're, now you're digesting it and glucose is being um, dissolved in the, in the body and entering the bloodstream and so then your blood sugar levels will rise which is natural and i'm not saying that we don't want blood sugar rises because you do if your blood sugar is abysmally low abysmally low you will feel that right mm -hmm. you will be like i'm so tired i have no energy i can't even keep my eyes open and i've felt that before that crash the key for us in 2023 america or any country with an industrialized food system that has a lot of say starch as the basis of our food pyramid is that we are surrounded with so much more glucose than any other generation before us mm. than any of our ancestors would have eaten so that is one of the pushbacks pushback kind of comments i've gotten as i've been on this like glucose exploration is like why would i wear a cgm or worry about that it's another thing to track it feels like a new technology our our ancestors would have never dove delve into the molecular level of sugar, which I would say is true, but they also weren't surrounded by it at every turn. Mm. So the key for us when I say 88% of Americans are walking around dysregulated is that we're not experiencing gentle curves that are natural rise and fall. We're experiencing huge spikes and huge crashes. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So the interesting thing in this book that I that I realized was that even if you're not diabetic, right? Even if you your insulin is functioning fine, which to give a little breakdown, you consume glucose. The glucose wants to be used by your cells 
the very first place that glucose gets stored in the body is the liver, but it gets converted to glycogen because your body can't just have glucose in it. It would not be good. Glucose actually in the body as a free molecule can be very harmful. So your body uh, um, releases a hormone called insulin, which funnels glucose to its appropriate places. The very first place is the liver. Think about that's where all your blood from your digestive tract, your gut is going first goes into the liver. Your liver can store up to, I think, 100 grams of glucose, which is the equivalent of like two large McDonald's fries, which is like you eat two large McDonald's fries, like your liver is saturated with glucose that has now been converted to glycogen. Basically sits there until your body's like, hey, we need to burn more fuel, converts it back to glucose, enters it into the bloodstream. Your body can now use it. It's a helpful tool. It's like money. We store it. We store it, but we can't store it in its actual form because it's like I would say a harmful molecule. It's like we, we convert it to like a cryptocurrency. Exactly. Yeah, I don't understand that, but we do convert it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm kidding. But yeah. So we convert it as glycogen either in our liver. The next place we store it is in our muscles. This is why people are like, hey, you want to have a better metabolic health? You need to increase your muscle mass because hmm. your muscles can actually store a lot more glucose. I think your muscles can store up to 400 grams per day, hmm. which was like the equivalent of like seven large french fries i'm just like why are we equating i don't know these are her stats in her book and then the next place seven large french fries per day not saying you should eat that no, i'm saying that's the measurement though that's the measurement that you're that was for like an average person who weighs like 150 pounds obviously like the more muscle mass you have the more glucose you can store yeah no more quote carbs you can tolerate probably so here's the interesting thing Once your body is full of glucose in your liver and full of glucose in your muscles, the next place, because you cannot just have glucose circulating in your bloodstream, you will die. This is why we need insulin. This is why people with type 1 diabetes who can't produce insulin have to inject it. Your body takes insulin and it shuttles it to, actually your body converts that extra glucose into fat. And so it becomes fat storage. And this is your body protecting yourself. So so your body converts extra Glucose. Glycogen. Glucose. Glucose. So if you've maxed out your liver mm-hmm. and your muscles. Mm-hmm. Where it has turned to glycogen. Wherever it can't put it, mm-hmm. where it's supposed to. Like whenever it doesn't, whenever you're sa- you've satisfied your... You filled the tank. All the glycogen levels are maxed out. Yeah. The only other place for this to go, this glucose that you have, if there's a, if there's an excess. Yes. Is to be stored as fat. Yeah. Okay. Is this, are we, are we talking weight gain at this point? Yes. Are we talking, okay. So you're talking about fat around your muscles, fat, you see fat around your liver, you'll see fat between your organs, and then you'll see uh, like visceral fat, like fat in your gut, your hips, your face. Got it. And this is, so this is what's happening because obviously fat gain is like more than, it's more time span than just like a day. Yeah. But let's just walk through a day of eating. Say you eat something that's like an orange, a slice of bread, and maybe like a sugary yogurt for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Okay. You might've had a little bit of fat and a little bit of protein in that yogurt, but you've had, definitely had carbs. You've had starch in the bread. You've had um, fructose and glucose from the orange, and um, you've probably had added sugars in the yogurt. So the issue with having a hyper sugary, I'll, I'll use that term, hyper glucose rich food right then is that your body can only use as much, your cells can only use as much glucose as they need. Hmm. So this isn't an instance where like there's a little fire burning in each cell and you you dump energy, you dump glucose onto it and the fire gets bigger and then like, just give me more, keep it coming. There's a certain shutoff point where your cells are like, listen, we are full. 
we cannot handle any more energy. You keep shuttling glucose to us and we're done. Like we don't need that. So there's a relationship between the amount of energy you consume and the amount of energy you put out. Mm-hmm. We actually had that kind of conversation in an earlier show. So that's the relationship that I had not realized. Like, listen, because I would be like, okay, so what? I eat a piece of cake one time and then like the next meal I eat something sugary. But like I've got time in between. But you flooding the system, it's not like your cells are like, okay, we can't take that glucose right now, but just hang on to it right outside and we'll use it later. Mm. No, your body continues to move. Mm. Your body's like, okay, we can't use it there. Let's put, store it in the liver. Okay, we can't do that. Let's store it in the muscle. Okay, we can't do that. Okay, we got to convert this to fat yeah. and go to fat storage. The other piece that happens because you'd say, so first of all, thank you bodies for, for doing that because your fat cells can, they don't really like die or go away. They just... Um, swell or shrink so your fat cells are this beautiful like sponge that Mm. can sop up the excess it does that with toxins as well can sop us sop up the stuff in our system that we don't want circulating but the other issue with this like really intense glucose flood like i mentioned earlier with this orange and the yogurt and the toast is that when glucose is circulating in the body, there's a couple things that happen. One, your cells go, hey, we've got way too much going on here. And then there's a release of free radicals. Free radicals can be harmful because they can kind of, it's kind of like shrapnel in your system. It can come in contact with another cell and poke holes in it and leave it kind of mangled. Um, this is a beautiful thing. Like fruit has antioxidants, which can help in the... Um, so wait, what's a free radical? So I'm explaining that. Okay. Free radical are, is, is a term to describe these shrapnel-like pieces in the body. Of what food? Of Your body emits it, right? You, okay. It's releasing these free radicals. So our body releases free radicals. Why? Because there's, for this specific chain reaction, there's too much glucose in the body. I okay. don't know why that's signaling that. Okay. But, but this it is, is when a, it happens. It is a reaction of glucose is overloaded. Okay. Your body releases free radicals. Um, this is where you get the term oxidative stress. If you've ever heard that. I have not. It's like uh, rusting from the inside. Your body is oxidating. Think mm. of like how meat oxidates when totally. it, you know, it's browning. It's whatever. Oxidizes. Oxidizes. Yeah. What did I say? Oxidates. Oxidate. Whatever. So those two things happen. You get increase in oxidative stress. You get a release of these free radicals. And then there's also this fancy term that she talks about in her book called glycation, where when a glucose molecule bumps into another molecule in your body, it bonds to it and then it glycates it. She says this is like cooking from the inside. This is like when a chicken is pink before it's cooked and then it browns in the oven. Your body is slowly glycating as you age. Mm. That's a natural, normal process. We don't want to stop that process, but we don't want to speed it up. Okay. We don't want to age prematurely. People with overloaded glucose continuous spikes have literal, you'll see some of the symptoms of glucose dysregulation are wrinkles and signs of aging. And it's almost just like we are, we are throwing our bodies into a system where we are just maxing them out on energy and we are not meeting that with an energy need. Mm. That's the biggest piece that I feel like people need to walk away with. Um, it's not just time over food. It's also energy over food. So that's like the bulk of the mumbo jumbo. Can, can we, can we like. pause and we, can, we, can we like 
because you just talked so much. I know. That's and why I'm, I feel I'm like pausing. it's so funny because people are probably listening to this and thinking, is this how Elizabeth and Joey talk on a regular basis? And the answer to that question would be yes. This is how these conversations <laughs> typically go. Um, it's so funny because it, you would think like this was all just rehearsed and we scripted this out and you're just talking. Now you did some research, you've been thinking about it a lot, but this is in, in reality oftentimes how new concepts are brought to our family in the first place. All right. I sit on the couch, I have a cup of coffee, and I listen while Elizabeth talks at me in like a fury. <laughs> and then I have to stop and say, okay, so glucose. <clears throat> glucose. Glucose is basically like gasoline or fuel or... It's your body's energy. It is the um, currency for energy of our body. Yes. Okay? And we can not only activate that energy through consumption of food mm-hmm. right, that can be used right away, mm-hmm. but it also is stored in the liver and in our fat. Muscles. Our muscles. Mm-hmm. Now, it's also stored in fat. Yes, three places. Can it be reactivated as, as glucose for energy once it's in fat? No, it is only stored as glycogen, which is the body's form to like... Convert it back into energy. Mm-hmm. So glycogen is the only one that can be converted back into energy, which you cannot do when it's in your fat. Yes, but okay. you can do when it's in your muscles and in your liver. So you want it in your muscles and your liver and you do not want it in your fat. Exactly. Okay. Um, and so this currency, we've got this available to us. And it becomes a problem when we are ingesting too much. Too soon. Too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, too, so when we're ingesting. Too much too quickly. Too much too quickly. But too much regardless is bad, right? Because the, the measurement of as the way we quantify what is too much is based on activity. I guess, yeah. So if, if I were to have an office job, which I do, and I was to sit at a desk, which I don't. Yeah, I was um, going to say. Uh, and, and I were to eat the breakfast you had suggested and then go sit for a while, my body is going to be excited to get all of this glucose coming in right off the rip. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to store a bunch of my liver, store a bunch of my muscles, and, and then everything else is like, I don't know where to go. And then there's these, apparently there's these free radicals that can also kind of get it. Mm-hmm. Right. So these free radicals are emitted when we have extra glucose that's, that's coming into our body and Mm -hmm. our body has a natural way of saying hey we know we've ingested too much but we don't want this to be harmful to ourselves so we're going to send these things out here to kind of attack those things and what happens when a free radical gets it again free radicals the way it's described in the book is and i'm not an expert but basically damaging other cells in our bodies Mm -hmm. other organs so it's a harmful process it's a harm free radicals are released in a number of other different this is an aging process this This is is what we talked about <clears throat> glycation is the aging. Okay. Uh, when you hear about the benefits of antioxidants, um, that is to offset antioxidants. That's to offset the oxidation process and free radicals and oxidative stress are kind of wrapped into one, right? So okay. the body's under a stress because there's too much gly- uh, glucose. Um, when the body is in the process of shuttling this glucose, kind of like putting it away, mm-hmm. like, hey, we, we need to clear the highways. Okay, mm-hmm. get it out of the blood system put it somewhere safe Mm. again it can't even be stored in the liver and the muscles as glucose it gets converted to glycogen glycogen. um it's think of it as like setting off a mini panic in your body like we we need to and and the red alert and the red alert happens and then that sends out these free radicals which is that is that a hormone do you know is that like a hormone like what the heck is that i don't really it sounds like like a like a it's a term okay um and there's other people that know way more about that than me but i know enough to say we don't want to be in a chronic state of continuously arousing this kind of storm of free radicals or glycation or oxidation okay. in the body. And so here's the thing. It's like one time you eat a piece of cake and your glucose levels, you know, go up a little bit higher, which we'll get into those numbers in a second. And then they come back down, assuming you don't have a 
diabetic kind of syndrome and your insulin is working properly, your glucose levels will come back down and you should be fine. That's not the problem. It's not the one time you eat the piece of cake. It's the fact that our daily lifestyle is continuously spiking every single day, day after day. And over time, we are speeding up our internal aging and we are leading to chronic disease like PCOS and uh, insulin resistance, all kinds of things. So we store this energy. We have too much and that can be harmful and or not ideal for a number of reasons. Yeah. There can be weight gain. There can be there can be aging factors. Symptoms, yeah. And then there can also be this free radical thing that we don't know a ton about, but like it's ox, oxidizing our... Oxidative in, stress, yeah. Oxidative stress, okay, which doesn't sound great. Does not. But anyways. Now, that's great information. So what do we do about it? How do we know what's going to spike our glucose levels? Mm-hmm. And what can we do to try to set ourselves up for success? Like, are you just telling people don't eat sugar, like avoid glucose at all costs? I know you were just saying like, it's okay if you have a piece of cake and spikes, if your insulin levels are good to go, it's going to, you know, attack that glucose, bring you down to a normal level at some point. Attack it. <laughs> Military. Anyways, you know, violent arm with you. Okay. So the key here is that remember your your glucose levels rise and fall as you eat something mm-hmm. throughout the day that's fine and normal you don't want that to stop the um the what indicates a rise or sorry what indicates a spike mm-hmm. is debated okay so like the american diabetic association will say one thing is a you know you don't want to see your levels above 140 micrograms per deciliter but in the book sh- in the way that my levels app identifies that they're both on the same page here whatever your baseline is so for example my baseline when i was measuring my glucose my fasting glucose so i'd wake up in the morning i didn't eat during the night which my just basic basic like blood sugar level was like 83 was like and i could watch what it did in the nighttime sometimes it would dip Sometimes it would dip quite low in the nighttime. I'm not sure if that was a sensor error or what because that tended to go away. But I would be in like the 70s, you know, mid 70s to low 80s. Is there an ideal number? Yes. Okay. What what is the ideal number? So again, this is what do you want? Do you want optimal or do you want what's quote normal for the Americans? Because I want want optimal. You want optimal. Okay. This is why I had to write it down because I was like, am I going to remember these numbers? Okay. So the American Diabetes Association says your fasting glucose should be between 60 to 100 milligrams. Seems pretty wide. It's a very wide range. 60 to 100. 60 to 100 milligrams per deciliter. Okay. I think I said micrograms earlier. I meant milligrams. Um. Then they said if your fasting is like 100 to 126, then you're pre-diabetic. If it's above 26, you're diabetic. Okay. Above 126. And then for, for you to experience a spike, say you eat a food and then you're like blood sugar is like, whoa, I'm rushing my blood sugar, which by the way, you don't feel the spike. You feel the dip. They say then that's like 140. You wouldn't know any of these numbers unless you were literally pricking your finger and testing your blood which is going to read differently than a CGM or you are wearing a CGM. So none of these numbers, you can't like tell. You can't be like, this is how many carbs are in this food. Oh, this is what my blood sugar is going to be. That doesn't calculate that way. Everyone's body responds differently. So none of these numbers will mean anything to you until you put on a CGM. But for me, who wore a CGM for eight weeks, um, 
having a fasting glucose level of 60 to 100 is insanely broad. My fasting glucose level was never even close to 100. It like probably never went above 84, to be honest. It was never close to 60? Yeah. Sometimes it dipped to like 55. That's what I'm saying. It dipped quite low um, when I'm sleeping. But funny enough, I did not wake up and I didn't get food. So you would think like your body would... That's a whole other conversation. Okay. What's optimal though? So put those numbers aside because that's the American Dietetic Association. Oh, so the 60 to 40... Or sorry, 60 to 100 is... That's what the general, like when you okay. go to your doctor. So that's not the optimal. So that was not the answer to my initial question. That was question. not the optimal. Here's the issue. It's like you wear a CGM and you go to your doctor. Say your fasting glucose levels are whatever. You're uncomfortable. You're mm-hmm. experiencing things. But they're like, hey, it's within this wide range. You're good to go. And they're not taking into account optimal levels. Okay. So these are the optimal levels. Your fasting glucose should be between, should be between 72 and 85 milligrams per deciliter okay 72 and 85 Mine that men were and women yeah it just it said across the board it didn't specify okay so between 75 and 72 and 85 that's and a much why is that window. why like what wh- why do we know that's optimal because she says that once you cross over 85 as your optimal or as your fasting remember this is like i haven't eaten anything totally. this is just my level yeah. That's when you kind of start to see some of those symptoms are rising. So between 85 to 100, while the American, whatever, ADA totally. will say, oh, you're fine. She's saying, well, actually, like, we should bring that down a little bit. And then bit. too low, you're probably like... Too low, your body lacking needs... Lacking energy and... Okay. Yeah, you're, pro- you're probably shaky. You're probably, I mean... And, and the funny thing is, I was experiencing heart palpitations for several months, very consistently, every single day before I started monitoring monitoring my glucose Mm. and that's one of the symptoms of glucose dysregulation is heart palpitations Mm. there's a couple other things i want to talk about later too so the way i'm going to identify a spike is anytime i'm at my baseline and i increase more than 30 points Mm. okay so i eat something maybe i'm at maybe i'm at 102 because i've eaten something you know an hour ago and my body's still whatever that doesn't scare me but then i shoot up to 146 or 140 50 or something i've had like a 50 point spike before okay so we're talking about optimal levels i consider a spike when my body's like hey we've got too much energy you ate too much sugar Mm -hmm. (laughs) you ate too many carbs anything that's above 30 points when my basically i'm taking my baseline and then i'm shooting up and the obnoxious thing is in the levels app it will have like an actual little rocket and it says you're spiking Mm -hmm. and it will measure the amount of hours you are in that spiked state. So usually like an hour and a half, maybe two hours. So, um, the yeah. So the cool thing about that is that both the Levels app and the book have the same conclusion that anything above 30 points is considered a spike. When you reach into that spike zone, that's where you're saying like, hey, you consumed too much energy. Here's the piece though, and we can get into the the practical ways that people can regulate this because that's if I ate something and then just sat down. Okay, yeah. Uh, before you do that, so um, we've got spikes, we've got optimal, we've got normal, right? We've got places where we want to be with our with our glucose. Let's let's go. Let's talk about without the numbers. What? How do we feel when our glucose is spiking? Mm, yeah. So if someone's listening to this or watching this and they're, and they're thinking to themselves, okay, I, I want to start to think more about my glucose. We'll give practical tips and things like how, how we should eat food and, uh, or how we've identified for us eating 
different sorts of foods and different orders and whatnot has worked. But what are they feeling on a blood sugar spike? Yeah, I'll explain, I guess, what I was feeling. And first of all, you eat something high carb. You get an initial boost of what feels like energy, but that's not actually energy. It's dopamine. Your body's releasing dopamine, saying like, we like that carbohydrate. It's great. It's a good feeling. So you feel a boost of, wow, I feel great. This is so much fun. I ate this cake or this cupcake or this rice or whatever. But it's important to note that's not actually quick energy. It's dopamine. You do not physically feel symptoms of, I would say, I did not physically feel symptoms of a blood sugar rise. The only way I knew my blood sugar was rising too fast was because I saw it on my CGM. The part you feel is about an hour and a half, two hours, sorry, yeah, an hour and a half or two hours after you eat a meal and you feel like you hit a brick wall. You are crashing. You are... All of a sudden, you feel like you're walking in peanut butter. Can you crash from something that's not a spike, though? Can't your blood sugar drop below where it should be, regardless of whether or not you did a, had a blood sugar spike? If your blood sugar is dropping without the trigger of some sort of food, then you're talking about something else going on in your so body. So your blood sugar should remain steady whether, whether you've eaten to spike your blood sugar or not. Your blood sugar should remain steady. The important thing is that when think of it like a roller coaster if your blood sugar is say the remember the term flatten the curve right say the curve is too high um as fast as you spike up is as fast as you come back down so your body's again doing you a favor bringing your blood sugar levels back down but then what's happening in that process is your your body doesn't necessarily know that you're right next to a fridge or a pantry you have quick access to food aka energy so it's saying hey your blood sugar is is dropping sometimes below lace uh below baseline so what about all that stored energy are we able to access that during these moments so we've got this stuff stored in our liver Absolutely. and our muscles yeah so once so so the the blood sugar um deficit okay so the spike we don't really feel we, we all feel low blood sugar I know I've definitely felt it. You feel what? How do you feel? You, you feel, feel weak shaky. and shit. You feel kind of pale. Drinking water doesn't really sweaty. help you. Yeah, you're like I need something, right? This you know, way back in the day, it was like give me some Gatorade, right? That was the solution. You feel hangry. Yeah, those kinds of vibes. You get you get in this mood. Like yeah. if we go out to dinner and you haven't eaten, and then I know I have to at least get through the salads before we can even have a meaningful conversation. I mean, it eats up like 25 minutes of our date. I'm not gonna lie. It's not worth waiting to eat the meal. It's You'd rather pregame, have some food before you, you got to dinner. You should, if you're dealing with blood sugar dysregulation, you should pregame. Anyways, continue. So your body's <laughs> feeling that depletion and that low blood sugar once you've depleted the glycogen that was stored up in your liver and your muscles. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's not like it's not like it's just a spike and then you've got this stored up and... and and then as you're kind of, de- so once it's all depleted, what's it, what's your body doing to yourself? Well, I guess I'm not exactly sure how to answer that question because I don't think that you're like, you're walking around base level. Your body is storing glycogen. I, I think it's more your body is recovering from the release of insulin and insulin is, is helping funnel the glucose out of your blood system. And that kind of hustle to get you back to baseline is mm. where you tend to feel the crash. Okay. 
So, so it's almost like a tiredness. It's like a recovery exactly. of using this energy or using this hormone. It's like uh-huh. a hormonal recovery. And actually, the the interesting thing about what you just asked, can we just rely on our stores? It's a great question because when insulin is released in the body, insulin is a hormone, and when that is released in the body, it turns our pathways into a one-way street. So we cannot access the glycogen in our liver and our muscles if insulin is circulating. Because think about it. Insulin is already like, guys, shut the doors. Like, we need to lock this place down. We need to get this blood sugar out. And so if insulin's working on that. The more glucose you're eating, it's going to stay you going. Can't, yeah, your body's Unless not those like. those stores that are just sitting in your liver and your muscles eventually become fat. And, okay, I'm, But I'm, those stores aren't accessible when your insulin is circulating. Okay. So I guess that answers our question for us. Because, and that's really, really important. Because if you are someone who wants to lose weight, wants to burn fat, and you are struggling with that, if insulin is is flowing through your body for an hour, two hours, whatever, post-meal, trying to bring your blood glucose levels back down, you can't burn those stores that are in your fat cells or your glycogen or uh, sort in your muscle and your liver. Hmm. So that's a really interesting thing, which again, it makes sense if you think about what the body's trying to do. It's trying to like keep the roadways clear, right? Yeah. We don't want any of this in the system. And I was asking from like an athletic perspective, because I'm thinking, well, geez, it, you're saying all of this with negative connotations, but it actually sounds good. I'm like, oh, well, we've got an excess store of energy. I could like, what if something happened to me and I was... So that's the key. I, but now I've got all this extra energy because I've been eating a bunch of cake. So here's the key. If you ate a piece of cake and you went and ran five miles, your blood glucose levels should not spike the same way that they would spike if you ate that piece of cake and sat down. Because here's what your body's doing. Um, Your body is taking in that energy and immediately using it. And so it's already going to your muscles. Mm -hmm. Your muscles are working on your run. Your body is going to sop up that extra influx of energy and use it right away. And the beautiful piece about that is that you don't have to use insulin to take it into your muscles during a workout. Mm. So that's completely different. Again, that is an energy match to your fuel match. Um, that's a perfect example of something that people can do. And and we'll get into some other caveats later because I don't want people to think that, oh, I ate a piece of cake. I have to go run three miles. That would be a disordered level of thinking. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. But it is a great example of how your energy input matches your output and so then your blood if you were to test your cgm you wouldn't see a massive spike you'll see a slight rise but your body will use that up so that it's not just circulating in or your at least blood. this is what you experienced oh yeah this is what i've experienced so we, we're talking about how food that we eat affects us what are some of the ways you found eating food would best regulate your glucose well, one thing I changed what I was eating. I I think I used to be, I think I used to be this um, on a bit of a glucose roller coaster. And I, while I would have said I was eating like very nourishing food, like sourdough bread and raw honey and fruit and all the things, right? They're whole real foods. It still doesn't take into account like how much glucose we're consuming. And so I started to notice like, hey, I would have four spikes in a day, five spikes in a day. Hey, Mm -hmm. my body is jumping from one to the next to the next. What am I eating that is fueling that? So the second you get data about how your body responds, you just naturally are changing the way you're eating. 
Um, there's a couple hacks in the book that I can bring out. And again, I think people should just go read the full book if they want the full thing. But a lot of it has to do with the order in which you eat your food, which sounds really wonky because it seems like that shouldn't make a big difference. But if you're eating um, your food, say you're starting with a vegetable, which is going to be that fiber, which is um, not broken down into glucose in the body, it stays as fiber in and out, then you're almost like creating this like net to slower the trickle of glucose into your bloodstream. So it slows down the glucose coming in. It kind of throttles it a little bit. Throttles it. Yeah. So I start my meals now with a vegetable, either like, you know how we always do veggie protein starch for our dinners? Totally. I eat my, my veggie and my protein first and I eat my starch last. If you do anything tomorrow, I mean, like, do in that, that. In that immediate, like, kind of way, is it really that impactful? It, like, it is incredibly impactful because here's what's happening. So, like, if, if you eat a piece of potato and then you eat your steak and then you eat your veggie and you eat a piece of potato, you're going to have issues. Whereas if you, I'm talking, like, at the dinner table. And I'm being very specific because it sounds, it sounds very, like, intense. Rather than if I eat the steak eat the you know veggies or eat the veggies eat the steak and then eat the potato it feels like it's all going in i mean surely it's not digesting that fast yeah you would think it's all going in mixing around it's all coming out the same way but first of all your body starts digesting carbohydrates in the mouth like mm-hmm. immediately you're chewing and there's a release of enzymes and you're breaking that down in your mouth <clears throat> this is why if you uh chew on a piece of uh like white bread for a long time she talks about how she does this experiment in the book well she did it in like grade school you chew on a piece of white bread for a long time eventually and you don't swallow. You resist the urge to swallow. It eventually tastes sweet because your body is breaking that starch into sugars right in your mouth, mm. right immediately into glucose. Interesting. Okay, so there is – if you're eating bit to bit to bit, okay, that's probably less of a difference between – I always used to go for the rice first. I'd be like, I love my rice. I put butter on it. So it's kind of – it's a I'm pairing my carb with a fat, so that's good. That's great that I was doing that, but it wasn't enough. So I would say the biggest difference for me is when I eat my uh, my veggie and my protein first, and then I eat my starch or carb last, whether that's rice, whether that's cooked potatoes, whether that's a piece of sourdough. And if you don't want to be so militant about it, add something onto the front end of your meal that will provide that kind of like netting for you already, like a small salad. Mm-hmm. This is where a small green salad, maybe some bitter herbs, and maybe some... Um, apple cider vinegar based vinaigrette will do you so much good because here's the other piece of this the veggie is a wonderful tool to help mitigate the rush of glucose it kind of slows it down it tampers it so does protein and fat but then actually acetic acid which is found in vinegar um, allows your muscles to uptake glucose faster and so it's it dampens the curve if you will Mm. so you can use that trick by adding it to your salad dressings and consuming a green salad before you eat the rest of your dinner. I've even used that as I had some tea time with the girls. I had a little bit of sugar and milk in my tea. I had a slice of bread and I was like, wow, that was very carb heavy. I will notice that on my CGM. So I would take a tablespoon, is it a tablespoon or a teaspoon? I can't quite remember. You can Google it. Tablespoon or teaspoon of apple cider vinegar in a glass of water and drink that because that acetic acid, again, is going to help my body 
my muscles take in that glucose because I'm building muscle, mm. right? And that's one of the reasons why I want more muscle mass is so that my body can accommodate, can have bigger storage units for the glucose I'm eating. Mm. This is exactly why I'm not saying don't eat carbs. And so this is why a number of people that talk about for weight loss or managing your, what were you saying, metabolic health, mm -hmm. this idea of gaining muscle mass can benefit that can and, increase and the your metabolism. science behind that is that it's going to be able to store more glucose because you've got more storage space. And if your body is... You can't grow your liver. You can't. You don't want to. Yeah, you definitely Nothing don't want to Nothing I'm aware of, at least. Um, exactly. You have more storage space for your glucose, but also the more muscle mass you have, the higher temp you tend to run because think of it, you're just like a bigger engine. So you're burning hotter. Mm -hmm. And so your metabolism is like firing on all cylinders. Mm. The thing about people with low metabolism or poor metabolic health are always cold mm. ends of their fingers. They have poor circulation. Um, they kind of feel weak. The muscle mass is huge, huge when it comes to, uh, regulating your metabolism. All right, so we're we're talking about order in which we eat foods. Would you ever avo would you ever avoid carbs for a meal? I would avoid carbs as a snack alone. Okay. And now what I would do instead of just saying, "Hey, I'm gonna go have," um, what would be like a carb only, like a handful of crackers. Like so many of the this is the thing that gets me. So many of the snacks that we give our kids, and we're guilty of this too. But as a population, so many of the snacks that are easily accessible for our kids are just straight starch. Mm -hmm. Like the goldfish, there's no fiber in that to help mitigate that, you know, rush of white flour and probably added sugar. Yeah. The super sugary yogurts, um, the little cookies. I mean, think about it. And this is why we're avoiding cereal. It's exactly why we're avoiding cereal. So cereal for breakfast is? A glucose roller coaster nightmare. You're just setting yourself up to absolutely crash later. And what happens when you crash later is because your body's like, yo, we need fuel. We don't want to go below. You to eat more carbs. It makes you crave more carbs. Yeah, that's interesting. So you get on, even though. you're crashing energy. But then you get a dopamine and hit. And the way to get more energy is to eat more carbs. It's a sick cycle. And so you're just kind of like it's on this like carb devouring and then marathon. You, exactly. And then you add in the fact that your body's continuously pumping out insulin to try to combat all the glucose you're eating. So you might be going to do a workout later that afternoon after you've spiked yourself four times. But because you've got insulin circulating in your body, you're not going to be burning any of those stores because it's a one-way street now. Your insulin is telling the rest of your body, and it's also impacting your hunger cues. You do that enough days in a row, your hunger cues, your hunger hormones, adrenaline, and the other one are going to be flip-flopped. And you're going to now feel more hungry, even though you're not more hungry. Now, what if your workout's long enough? So let's say, so... Hypothetically, your insulin goes away. You can dip into and those you're stores. you're still working out. Probably. And, okay. Is there an average time limit for how long it takes your know. insulin to kind of recess back into its... Uh, my one my one caveat with this book is that she doesn't talk about working out enough. Okay. I can share my experience from what working was your, out. What was your experience working out? So when I would go on a run, even if it was like a one mile run at like a 930 pace, let's be honest, a 10 pace, <laughs> a 10 minute pace. Did I ever run 930? 950 maybe? Me. I think me and Chloe are in a couple fast ones. Anyways, I run slow. I run like a 10 mile pace, which feels fast for me. Even if it was a mile, my glucose would spike. Bike, hmm. which isn't bad because a glucose spike due to exercise 
is not quite the that same. That means you're taken out from the reserves, right? You're, yes. You're dumping. Your body is dumping from your liver and your muscles. Um, I'm guessing mostly from your liver. Because it needs that energy to do the task. Exactly. You're like, I'm running from a tiger. Interesting. But this also increases your stress. This is why people are eh, on the cardio. Because it's like, I don't want to stress my body out too much. Which I understand if you're in a chronic state of stress, you're already like, you don't want to add more fuel to the fire. But if you're generally not experiencing really bad symptoms, little amounts of controlled stress are actually really amazing for you. Mm. This is something we've talked about before too. It's like, listen, your body's training how to combat stress or how to deal with stress Mm -hmm. in larger life situations. Now, what about lifting weights? So lifting weights lowered my glucose which makes complete sense because when i'm running i'm using um a lot it's very strenuous for me this is why i can't wait for you to get a cgm because when you run you can chit chat up a storm and read a whole book and do whatever and it's fine when i'm running i'm like sweating i can barely breathe i feel like i have very um high heart rate and what do you call that like your anaerobic like capacity i feel like mine's low Mm. basically i'm guessing yours is high nothing wrong i just think that's how we're built or how i've trained or lack thereof so when i run it's really strenuous for me any kind of strenuous like a crossfit workout is very strenuous for me Mm. as it's designed to be my glucose increases and i notice that now on the app you can say hey i just did a strenuous workout and even though you'll see the spike it won't put a little pink line saying you spiked it mm. will recognize it as a beneficial use of glucose in the body Got it. So that's interesting when i lift weights and the way i lift weights is i do it for performance and reps i don't do it for time so i'm doing strength training you're building muscle Yes, but some people who are like lifting weights and they're not taking breaks and it, they turn it into cardio. muscle breakdown. Yes. Now. So in it, that instance, your body is using up the glucose that it has in its system. So you will see a dip in your system. I'm sure if I lifted weights for long enough or hard enough or didn't take breaks in between, I would see it start to come back up. But in general, weightlifting will lower your glucose levels, which means it's a beautiful tool. If you're like, hey, I just ate something that is high glucose and you want to lower your levels but again you can eat something go for a run and it, you will use up that energy as well it just will, might look different on your cgm so i ask this because so, um when i think about people that are running marathons i was mm-hmm. t- talking to a friend yesterday and you were there you heard him saying a lot of this he is going out to eat on this says tomorrow, oh, yeah. Saturday, mm-hmm. before his run on Sunday. He told me. No, and today's he said, Friday. He said, I'm going to eat. A pound of pasta. The day before. Mm-hmm. And this is this idea of like carb load uh-huh. prior. So interesting because naturally, not with any science behind it, I had experimented without a CGM. So like, I'm going to get one. And I will tell everybody how it goes with my different kinds of workouts and being a man and like a lot of other things. We'll do a YouTube series on it. So I tried a a, a really high carb load, heavy like pizza, like sourdough pizza, sourdough bread, like these sorts of things the night before I ran like an 18 miler. Mm -hmm. And then I tried like a New York strip steak and high, high protein, followed up with like a protein milkshake and you know, veggies and like very low. Um, and I actually felt better on the run post dinner that was high protein hmm. than I did run post carb. 
But what did you eat right before your runs? Carbs. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, but I'm just curious from like a eating the night before, does that have any meaning? Is this, is this like a old wives tale? A carb load. I mean, I think of like the office scene where Michael Scott's saw that fettuccine. carb loading before he goes out to run the whatever. Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. My assumption from what I've read and what I experienced is you need less time in between your carb load and your like, oh, I, he also wouldn't be smart to eat a pound of pasta and then go run. So, no, like that's so, probably it's, his it's reason. Obviously. So I, it's probably more of a split. Like you felt better having that protein that night before, but then you had quick carbs in the morning and a little bit of fat or protein, if I remember yeah. correctly. For me, I don't know what that does to your body. And that's one thing I wish she would have talked about more in the book is working out. I don't think she's like a big fitness guru. So I don't think like personally she's tested it out totally. on herself. She gave zero examples of well, heavy we workout. We will give the examples out. because we're not going to, we're not scientists, but we can absolutely experience this Yeah, we're just this testing thing. this. And so I found that that helped me a lot. I found also, which is something I'm really interested in, the the, the nourishment that I would take on the runs that are that were really long with me. Mm-hmm. And the, again, without a monitor, but f- feeling the crashes and how my body felt, I would run for about 45 minutes. And then, and then at 45 minute mark, that's when I would take in my first um, high sugar, high salt, high potassium, whatever, um, whether it's a gel or a syrup for runners, or it was, I, I would take salted oranges, etc. That was like, that was like the point during my run where I would start to feel it. And the reason why I'm really interested to wear one of these monitors is to go out and do a run that takes me two, three hours. Mm-hmm. And at the 45 minute mark, what happens? Mm-hmm. Where was I at the 45 minute mark? Did something happen to me there? Was something happening to me at like the 60 minute mark? And so the 45 minute mark, how long does it take me to metabolize these different sorts of carbs or things that I'm, I'm ingesting during the run so that that energy becomes available for me again? Mm-hmm. And from a performance point of view, I love the idea of that because I feel like I can start to optimize my, my performance in these long, strenuous workouts. And um, it's interesting, you know, running, you know, a super long distance. My guess is my blood sugar, this is my guess, we, we, we'll test it, it, will spike on a run similar to yours did. But then as I continue to run, you'll watch it just gradually slope down or spike down. I don't know. Maybe it's going to continue to stay level at this heightened level and then it's just going to drop. At some point though, it has to go down, right? Yeah. And your body probably needs a lot quickly circulating when you're running to You want really readily hours. available sugars or I can't wait glucose. to see. I've never seen it. I have seen people on YouTube purposefully do a really, really strenuous workout to see how high they could get their blood glucose levels on their monitor. Mm. And then immediately, like, nourish yourself after. You just expended a ton of energy. Mm. Like, oh, you, you have to eat something after that. Um, but it was almost like a badge of honor for them. But I also, it, it's interesting because every time someone says, well, isn't a spike bad for you? So why is a spike during exercise not bad for you? Mm. The answer is kind of like, well, the benefits of exercise outweigh any negatives. And so it's, I wonder. Well, there are different spikes, right? Ingested spike versus like dipping into what you've got available spike is different, right? Yeah, you're not adding more. You're not going to be, 
I don't believe from what I understand that spike is going to lead to fat storage when you're in an exercise mode. Exactly. You're emptying your storage you're taking, units. And then you've got that storage available for any mm-hmm. excess. So if you're spiking by but taking pieces, stuff out of your reserve, which is glycogen, which you're, 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 if you're monitoring it, it's not going to tell you how much glycogen you have, right? It's no. going to tell you what your blood sugar level is. Yeah. So blood sugar level is either stuff that has not been able to make it into the storage unit or stuff that is is being activated from the storage units. That's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, and we're assuming like if you're actively exercising, then some of the issues with glycation and the release of free radicals and stuff isn't necessarily happening on as high of a scale because you're like, you're flooding the system, but then you're like, you're using it up Mm. right away. Do you know what I mean? Totally. All of that is kind of my assumption from what I've read. So we're talking about regulation. It's hairy. We're talking about glucose regulation and and... We've talked about the different kind of foods that we're eating. And, I will say, can I add a caveat to that? Caveat, yeah. yeah. One of the things that she talks about in this book is that the sh- type of sugar you consume doesn't matter. So, and we mentioned this in a previous podcast, I think the one where we changed our minds. And the thing that I was kind of ignorantly walking in previously was like hey if it's like raw honey or great maple syrup or some other kind of naturally occurring sweetener like it's healthy it's good for me i don't really it's it's negligible which is silly because on a molecular level it's still the same like it's still the same a sweetener is going to spike your glucose level in one way or another honey is going to spike your glucose level in one way or another it is on a molecular level it is a certain percentage of fructose and glucose table sugar or sucrose whatever is the same at a molecular level these things are all the same they're just different packages Mm -hmm. so yes while i choose personally to use maple syrup and organic cane sugar and other types of sweeteners um you still can't ignore the fact that you are molecularly infusing your body with this energy. I think one of the ways that we saw proof of this is when you were wearing your monitor and you used to, you used to always drink your coffee in the morning with me with cream and maple syrup in it mm-hmm. every single morning. Yeah. Because and I because I was told not to drink black coffee and that it was like, metabolically beneficial for me to put stuff in my coffee totally and while the cream probably is helpful the sugar was was not and and you were identifying that you were having these early morning like glucose spikes because of this like you know frappuccino that you're 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 guzzling down Babe, in the morning. it was a teaspoon of maple syrup I'm just, it was like I'm the being funny, smallest but, amount but it was after I'd but eaten breakfast. That was good breakfast. data. But this, was, is, this is a learning. I had eaten breakfast too. I wasn't consuming this on an empty stomach. I think the, the point is being made. No one's shaming you. I'm just saying as we continue to experiment and understand and learn more about who we are and what we are and how we can best serve ourselves, nourish ourselves. That's why we are having conversations like this and recording it, right? Mm-hmm. Because I remember you looking at me one day and being like, this is crazy. And like, I've been doing this for forever. And it just, everything about it, I would never tell somebody, don't do that. Yeah. But the reality is, and the data is, when you ingest this sugar, this sugar is going to respond. So here's the biggest way it impacted me, and I've never said this on the podcast before, because I purposely wanted to save it for this episode. I didn't change a thing working out. I actually didn't work out the first three full weeks I wore the glucose monitor. I started working out on the fourth week. Mm -hmm. I lost 10 pounds 
in three weeks. Just monitoring blood sugar spikes. Just by regulating my glucose. Didn't work out. I purposely didn't work out. And when I, we say regulating, you were mitigating spikes. That's, that's it. That's what you were doing. And being more intentional about that's the order it. in which we eat our food. Yeah. And now the working outside is just another tool in the toolkit to continue regulating glucose levels. And I didn't even go into it like with with weight loss as a goal. Yeah. Not at all. I was just like, I want to measure this. It was mostly for energy. Mm. It was like, I don't want to be crashing. I'm also like really curious to see if, yeah, I'll have more stable energy and just see like what my body does. I wasn't struggling with like acne or bad skin or other sorts of like issues that you see. And I remember stepping on the scale one day because I was like, wow, my clothes are fitting different. What is happening? Mm -hmm. 10 pounds. And I'm the type of person where like I don't lose weight very easily. I've kind of been the same weight for a really long time. And in three weeks, mm -hmm. 10 pounds are gone How's, and they've continued have, have to you, be off. Have you? I know we haven't been drinking alcohol for a while. I was still drinking alcohol at that point. When you drink, when you drink alcohol, what does that do to your glucose levels? Uh, it's usually spikes because there's a lot of sugar in it. What about like... Is there anything that's not sugary? Yeah, you could have uh, like a shot of gin and some soda water and okay. a squeeze of lime. And what is what about that? Any any factor to your glucose? Levels? Well, if it's just if it's low sugar, it's not going to affect you as much. Okay, so from like a drinking perspective, hey, just sticking to, yeah, you because know, like tonic water, very sugary. Tonic water is so sugary. I would yeah. not drink that. It's like gin and tonic. It looks really clear and light, but it's it's hitting you different, huh? Do you remember when we? We're like, oh, we want bubbly water. Like, let's go to the store and get some. So we got tonic water because we just didn't. We didn't know. And then we we were like, like why is this? This, <laughs> this is delicious. You're like, why does this taste like soda? And we looked at it and we're like, oh my gosh, it's so. People are gonna think we're so stupid because we didn't, didn't know. know. I didn't know. Club soda is what you want to order because club soda is not with the sweet. Totally, totally. Or just sparkling water, sparkling mineral water, or whatever. So. Yeah, but if you go to like a regular bar, they're probably not gonna have sparkling mineral water. You have to say club soda. Yeah. So yeah, I, th I just think that's really, really telling. So for me, think about it. It's exactly what we were just saying. I think my speculation is I was on a glucose roller coaster. My body was having, because my body regulates insulin fine, I don't have diabetes or prediabetes, but I had insulin circulating in my system because I was eating little things here and there, a little piece mm -hmm. of chocolate here, a little piece of bread here, a little sugar here, a little maple in my coffee. And I wasn't giving my body the right, I wasn't asking enough of my body energy wise. And so it, my insulin had to step on, mm -hmm. step in and say, okay, we'll manage this glucose on our own. And that's why I never saw results when I was lifting and You certainly and weren't gaining weight. I was not gaining weight. I was just stable. You were just stable. Okay. Right on. Anything else we're learning about glucose right now? Well, I'm not wearing the monitor right now. I'm taking a break. Um, this is what I wanted to say earlier. There's two camps of people I think should wear one. I, and I want to be very upfront and clear about this to our audience specifically. People who are like in the real food game, you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you follow us on Instagram, you're in it. Know where you are from a food perspective because there are portions of how the language is in the app that are very orthorexic inducing. Orthorexia is like a term that means you're scared to eat something that's not healthy. Mm. You're scared of unhealthy foods. It's a real thing. Mm -hmm. It happens a lot in the real food space where people all of a sudden get nervous about consuming something with poofas or a little bit of sugar or something that's, quote, unhealthy, which... Mm. 
it comes from a good space of I'm trying to be conscientious, but it takes it to the next level. So for example, I would eat and my keep in mind your app doesn't know your general this is an AI here. It doesn't know it doesn't pick up on your rhythms and say, "Oh, okay, she only eats a sandwich once every 3 weeks, so like we won't throw up the red flags." It doesn't know. It's just giving you automated responses. So in the app, you scan your sensor. You can type in food that you have eaten so Mm -hmm. that it gives you a little marker to say, hey, at this point in my blood glucose on my graph, I ate a sandwich. And immediately after you type in the fact that you ate a sandwich, it will give you five, you know, low carb bread options to have instead of the bread for your sandwich. It's trying to optimize your glucose regulation. It's trying to say even before you've spiked, even if you never spike, it will give you these prompts say hey instead of that pasta try so so long squash. story short it's gonna it might cause people to feel hyper anxious about what they eat yes so so if you feel like that would be a negative thing in your life don't get this don't do it okay. and, or know that going in and just okay. ignore it yeah just ignore the app because uh, like at the end of the day it's hey go go about your life normally make minor changes that are that are appropriate for your lifestyle that are going to keep you you know mentally happy and healthy and then optimize your glucose levels. Like for you, it was like a little bit sad, but it was very easy for you to say, you know what, I'm just not gonna drink coffee with cream and um, maple syrup in it. Yeah. It was very easy. You were just like, oh, this is not really the best thing for my day-to-day life. Now, what you didn't do is, you know, when we're at a family occasion or at a birthday party and someone has like cookies, you're not like, I'm not having a cookie. Mm-mm, no, yeah, I so will. It was like, hey, you don't have a cookie. Or hey, I'm gonna sit down with the girls and have scones and tea. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm gonna have the scones and tea. And I guess the, the idea there is is that if this monitor would have made you like really like guilty and anxious and like in some kind of disordered way not enjoying your family, uh, that would be a problem. Understood. What's the other camp of people? The other camp of people are people who are driven by data and are encouraged and are motivated and action-oriented when they receive it. Those are the people who should absolutely invest in a CGM even if you do it for the four weeks. So what happens is you don't need a prescription. There's all different types of companies. The company I went with was Levels. Mm -hmm. And you get a CGM. You can either choose to participate in their little research data and have it continuously link. I didn't choose that option. I chose the manual. So I have to manually scan my arm. You remember. I mean, you just scan it every couple hours and it gives you the full data. And uh then you get to see what you you get two scanners and each scanner lasts two weeks. Mm. So you can do a full month. Um, and that's a great option. So if that's the camp you're in, which I believe that's the camp you're in, mm-hmm. I highly recommend. Right on. So what are you going to do now that you know which camp you're in? I want to get a glu- glu- continuous glucose monitor. And I'm just excited to see the performance out of it. Yeah. I will tell you the upfront cost because people are going to ask and they ask me all the time, how much is it? For Levels specifically, you have to pay for like an annual membership for the actual app because remember the Levels is just converting the data for you. Um, that's $199, so $200 for the year. And then each batch of sensors and you get two in a box. So basically a month span is $199. So it's a $400 upfront investment. Mm. So you have to be in a place where you're willing to invest $400. I'm sure there's cheaper options, but you might need a prescription. Um, be in a place where you can invest $400 to understand and four weeks is enough time and, to get data and i think the positive thing uh, we wanted to walk into this this episode with is 
you don't need this to be healthy. No. And and we want to share the learnings we got from it mm-hmm. so that you can benefit from those. So I didn't just read a book and read to it. have an inspiration of hey, how can I potentially monitor my glucose differently or regulate my glucose differently and it's not something you need to wear all the time i think you could go like once a year hey once a year i'm gonna get the levels app and i'm gonna monitor myself and just see where i'm see how i'm doing Mm -hmm. right or like for me um if i'm going on vacation and i'm in a place where i'm not because eventually you eat the same foods every day and you kind of like no you get bored honestly you're like okay i had another great day if you're going on a vacation or something and you're like, I have no idea what these new foods are going to do to me, that'd be a great time if it's encouraging and not stressful for you. If you have your sensor and you've been waiting for a new time to put it on, throw it on then. Mm-hmm. See how you're doing. For me, it was like a safety net. It was like I have access to the inside of my body. I feel comfort in that. If you're on the other camp and you're like, that stresses me out, I would never do that on vacation, mm-hmm. then just know where you are is my only thing. Um that's all I have. I think we could continue talking about glucose. I think we'll continue the conversation. We plan, we're we planning currently a whole entire YouTube series once we launch our channel, <sighs> which hasn't launched yet. The channel's live, so you can find it. It's live, but we're not, we haven't launched the channel. Okay, the, We've got big plans we haven't launched for this channel. channel. It's not just podcasts. This is just convenient for anyone who wants us to like. To, I like viewing podcasts totally. where I can see the people. So you could be watching us right now and wonder, what do you mean that it hasn't launched the channel? You know, this is... This is the podcast portion of the channel. Eventually, we'll be creating content that is beyond just microphones and us sitting in a room. So here's the beautiful thing. We've got a couple of resources that are incredibly beneficial for folks who want to regulate their glucose. And I wrote them before I even fully understood any of this data for myself. Mm-hmm. And now I'm so thankful for the way that I wrote them because I always prioritized protein, veg, and starch in mm-hmm. my meal. So our What's for Dinner has a veg in every single meal something where you're like okay i got my zucchini and my squash i got my small salad Mm -hmm. i got my green beans the green bean recipe with the bacons and the onions do you know what i'm talking about oh yeah it's in like two or three of the different nights of there so good my Mm -hmm. mom asked me to bring that every like family occasion Mm -hmm. can you make your green beans from what's for dinner okay so what's for dinner is already set up with a lot of these principles in mind you just have to be conscientious of the way that you're eating your foods and then what's for breakfast was the antidote to people need to stop eating cereal in the morning. Mm-hmm. They need to start their days with protein forward meals, mm. especially breakfast. Okay, so even things where it's a typical really carb heavy meal like oatmeal in what's for breakfast, we made it protein packed. It is crazy how horrible now having this some of this some of this information breakfast like is. It's mind blowing. Like there are I mean the International House of Pancakes <laughs> Is like the international house of glucose spike. <laughs> it's unbelievable if you think about it. Like you roll in there, it's it's just that's your previous employer. How dare you do smear you want, their name? Do you want five pancakes with syrup and <laughs> like what? Maybe a slice of bacon. That's like what three grams protein. If you're lucky, it's crazy, and they have that wash it down with some orange juice. You're you're it's frightening. You're rolling out of there, and you're like, I want to die. You will. You might feel happy for a moment from that dopamine, but then you will crash so Dude, people hard. rolling I've been into snapping IHOP, a lot this you have, you've been snapping you're rolling out of IHOP feeling happy that's for sure <laughs> tell you that right now you're feeling something okay but that's the thing I want to communicate like <sighs> both what's for dinner and what's for breakfast are available via PDF and $24 Dude, like, waffles can I talk about this for a it's moment it's just crazy 
I mean, look at it. Like the the American breakfast is I like know. cereal, waffles, and pancakes. I know. And if you notice, first things that come to mind when you used to watch the cereal commercials, it would always say part of a balanced breakfast, and then they'd have the end shot where it would be like a bowl of cereal, a half a grapefruit, a little plate of eggs, and a cup of orange juice. I'm like, yo, that's not balanced, but cereal in and of itself was never meant to just be your breakfast but it is because it's quick and easy and convenient mm -hmm. that's why i have time stamps for every single breakfast this one takes you 10 minutes or less this one is a prepare ahead of time like this there and they're all relatively balanced so for the for if you're like hey my kids love oatmeal okay mm. we'll stir in some egg yet egg whites which are going to be high protein and combat that heavy starch. Mm. Stir in some collagen peptides. Do something, okay? Uh, we have a meat and cheese, like veggie, or not veggie, but like cheese morning tray. We have the morning uh, milkshake recipe that's in there. That's high protein. We've got the soft-boiled eggs. We, we just have so much in there. I dig it. Hey, if you want to find these resources, amongst others, go to homegrowneducation.org. We got them on there for mm -hmm. you. We got them. If you wanted to find coffee for your breakfast. Yeah, that's true. We do also have that. I'm drinking some of it right now. You were drinking it. I want to talk about, because the coffee is great and all, but the Earl Grey, the lavender Earl Grey, is mm. like my current craving, I would say. Yeah. It's got actual buds of lavender in it. So someone actually DM'd me earlier today. Let's see if I can pour some out and see it. Um, yeah, you see those buds of lavender right there in the middle of my hand? That's lavender. Oh, these little like nugget deals? Yeah, that's lavender. No kidding. The rest of this, I think, is uh, an Assam black tea um, with some bergamot. That's what makes it Earl Grey. Mm. Okay, so someone DM'd me and said, if I don't like the smell of lavender, am I going to like that tea? When do you think I told him? Uh, I mean... I said probably not. I'll say it's, it's pretty lavendery. <laughs> because it's very floral. But the smell is super nice i would say the taste of it is much more toned down like it smells more lavendery than the flavor of yeah, it. i smell this it's like it's because there's i told you're them you're walking through a lavender forest oh i told them i would never i would never recommend someone purchase something kind of a citrusy vibe to it though too. well that's the bergamot oh there you go yeah i would never recommend someone purchase something if they're literally like i don't like the smell of peppermint should i get your body soap i would say absolutely not do oh, not do that yeah, right no, no. if you don't like the smell of lavender do not get this if you like lavender and you like Earl Grey. Oh my gosh, a little Honestly, Earl Grey. Honestly, you know, I'm going to say this because a lot of people don't know if they like Earl Grey. I was one of those people. Oh, it's so good. And and, and We're okay. not talking about the, like the little tea bag or I was Grey. never a huge tea person. Yeah, that's true. I was a coffee person. And I'm a coffee, a coffee person. And you were like, "Hey, I want you to try this Earl Grey tea." I'm thinking, "All right." And, you know, of course I'm going to try it. It's ours. You know, we, we put our name on it. So mm -hmm. you made me a cup of it. And just by itself, I was like, it's good. Dude, put a little milk in there. Mm -hmm. A little bit of maple syrup. I prefer regular sugar, but yeah. Holy smokes. A little dash of vanilla. You got a London fog. It was so good. Mm -hmm. It's, it is, it, this is a, dessert, like in that, in that form, as we're on a glucose episode. It's a little bit treat. It's a it is a treat. treat. Yeah, yeah. It is a treat. hundred percent. I wouldn't call it a dessert. Approach. I'd say it's a treat the lavender or london fog situation 
carefully because you're going to be three fogs deep. The lavender you're gonna be, latte. You're going to be uh, going for a run or something. And it is caffeinated. So, the only, I mean, the tea itself is not going to spike your glucose. It's just the sugar you add. But yeah, this true. one is so good. And it's it's all organic, 100% fair trade. Um, it's just my current favorite. Obviously, I love our coffees. But I've been really only drinking the decaf lately. Me too. Because I wanted a little hitter for this episode because yeah. I knew I was going to have to focus on all the... <laughs> The glucose. Glucose content. So I they had would, some, a little Honduras. Can I give people a follow-up? You can. Because I think this is helpful for me too. If you listen to this episode and you've got more questions, will you uh, either email us, go to our website and go to the contact page and email us with your glucose questions or DM us on Instagram at uh, homegrown underscore education because I think we could do a follow-up kind of Q&A yeah. on this. Not saying we're experts, but just from people who are... Once we're trying to be like drops, guinea pigs. Let's just put up a Q&A box. Okay. Then we'll just collect them and we'll, we'll write them down. And maybe maybe we'll hit them on a YouTube <clears throat> video or, or on a podcast. Let's talk about the YouTube channel for a second. YouTube. Because we were talking about this earlier today. And while I have also mentioned that it hasn't launched yet, this is where... This is our vision for that. We've never shared our vision for the YouTube channel yeah. before because, you know, we're still in the midst of curating it. Mm -hmm. The thing, the passion and the heart behind a lot of this stuff at Homegrown is like Joey and I are like your guinea pigs and we are learning stuff. And as we're learning it, we're experimenting with it. And we are your real life example of a family with three kids living in the suburbs, trying to figure out real food. Um, our interests just lie with food, mm -hmm. obviously. And we understand our physical health is one of our most important assets. Mm -hmm. And I am seeing so often that people are completely neglecting that asset. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything that we can learn and experiment and tease out and make more digestible for folks so that they can continue to improve that asset in their own life, that's all I want to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you have any arguments or questions on today's episode please go dm the glucose goddess <laughs> and hit up jesse no i'm just kidding don't do that don't harass her she's done a lot of great work um but that's our whole goal totally and i'm so excited for the youtube because we're gonna be doing that in different mm -hmm. series and just like hey let's try this out and let's talk about how it's going and i just can't wait to share that side of us it's something we haven't really been able to do on mm -hmm. instagram um mostly because it's just me on there and I'm just excited for it. So. so you can find us on Instagram. You can find us at, as Elizabeth mentioned, homegrown underscore dot homegrown underscore <laughs> education. Education. You can find me at Joey Hazelmeyer. Find Elizabeth at Liz Hazelmeyer. We will link this book in the show notes. Link the book in the show notes. Um, YouTube channel is what? It's homegrown underscore education. Uh -huh. That's yep. how you can find our YouTube channel to watch this episode if you want to watch it and and see the Earl Grey tea. If you want to see the coffee, which here it is. This is the coffee. I think so it's probably backwards on the is camera. It backwards? I don't, I don't know. know. Anyways, that's it. This is it. it. Smells great. Good stuff. If you want to find the coffee, the tea, if you want to find natural body care products, well, soap for now, right? Yeah. And an exfoliating sponge, which, you know, is outstanding and has my skin glowing more than ever. <laughs> Your skin does look nice. And he did get a sponge for himself for those who were wanting a sponge update. Yikers. The, um, <laughs> you can find all that stuff on shoptheh.com. We've got a website. We sell products and we're continuously working to find more things to bring your way so that we can keep you 
out of stores that maybe don't align with your values. A hundred percent. So check us out on YouTube. Check us out a podcast. Uh, share right. it with a friend. Watch your glucose or don't. Here just to give you the information. And until next time, that's a wrap.